Hello, Guilty Feminist. This is Deborah. We're heading off to Australia and New Zealand, where we will be appearing live and recording an episode in Christchurch on the 11th of May, Auckland on the 14th of May, Wellington on the 15th of May, Adelaide on the 18th of May, Perth on the 20th, Sydney on the 23rd, Melbourne on the 25th, Brisbane on the 27th, and finally Canberra on the 28th of May. So get in and get your tickets now. They are going very fast. Please go to guiltyfeminist.com and just click on live shows for any of these events. I am a feminist, but when I found out that Deborah could legally marry people, I asked her if she could marry me and a man if I just stood close enough to him without him knowing. (laughs) That isn't how it works, she said. (laughs) I'm a feminist, but the other night when I had a dream about meeting Obama in the White House. I didn't challenge him on his foreign policy, if you know what I mean. I don't think I know what you mean. I do. Is that a euphemism? <laughs> you know, uh, yes, because I, I made wouldn't, it one. Uh, wouldn't challenge you on your foreign... Uh... <laughs> Are you flirting with me? Maybe. I think so. I don't. I mean, you'd have to... Does it only work with Obama? I think it only works with a, with, oh, a, okay. with a president or prime minister. I don't think you just say it to a guy in a pub. <laughs> I wouldn't challenge you on your foreign policy, if you know what I mean. Yeah, that would be... That'd have to be in politics, I think. Okay, good yeah. to know. Good to know. I'm just learning a lot about your culture and... <laughs> I am a feminist, and I wholeheartedly believe that every single one of my ex-boyfriends can date whoever he wants and that every single woman on the planet are allowed to date every single one of my ex-boyfriends. But (laughs) if I see a photo of them together, my first thought will be, who the fuck's that bitch? Some of those laughs were a little too wistful, weren't they? <laughs> I'm a feminist, but when I had a dream about meeting Obama in the White House, and I said to him, but what about Michelle? <laughs> and he said, that's why the White House is so big, baby. <laughs> Plenty of places to hide. And I woke up feeling really disappointed in him. Till I realised that my subconscious had made him say that. <laughs> That's exactly what he said. That is not a joke. I, he said it in my dream. I can, it was like he was standing there. I woke up, it was so lucid. Where did he hide Michelle? Behind the curtain. He was hiding with me. He was basically saying... He was showing me around the White House and he was hitting on me in the dream. Well, no, he wanted to hide with me to have sexual intercourse with me, so to. He's not hiding. He, 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 she's going to get suspicious if he tells her to go and hide. <laughs> don't, that's not how you do infidelity. Get behind the couch. Why? Don't, just don't, no, no questions. Just, uh, just, just hide behind the couch and count to 100. 
Yeah, all actually, I can tell you is that he said that's why the White House is so big, baby. Plenty of places to hide. I think and even if Barack Obama said baby, I'd be like, ah. Uh. Uh. He would say baby. He totally says baby. He says that's the kind of guy he is. It's kind of cool, cool hip. <gasps> That's not hip. That's not cool. Is baby cool hip? Yeah. Like. <laughs> oh, fine. I challenge any of you to have Obama call you baby and to not melt a little bit on the inside. <laughs> That's not cool. That's not hip. If Obama says it, it is. Anyways, I'm a feminist. <laughs> I'm a feminist. But when I was walking home late at night recently and I was about to walk past a group of men... I faked a phone call with an imaginary boyfriend and kept the conversation going for half an hour. <laughs> Don't pity me. No, I think it is a sort of feminist act because you're protecting yourself by using your wiles. No, but like even after I'd passed them. <laughs> then okay. I was like then. outside of my door going, no, you hang up. <laughs> Stop it! Why? What are you wearing? Can, should, should I oh, go? Oh, sorry, yeah. yeah. I'm a feminist, but when Michelle Obama warned me off her husband as a serial philanderer in the dream, I tried to listen to her and honour the sisterhood, but found that a man was more persuasive. <laughs> This is why it's I'm a feminist Bart. Man. Was she saying it from like behind the couch? Like, no. I think it's bad news. No, no. I, listen, at this point in the dream, I'd said no and I pushed away. And then it was like I ran into her in this other part of the White House. And she was sitting there having coffee and she was so not like she is in the press. She was so sort of jaded and she was basically saying, look, do what you want. But just so you know, this is what he's like. This is not, you're not special. But then I saw him again a little later in the dream. And then he sort of just backed me up into a corner. And, but it was just like really it's sexy. It's called the Oval Office. There's no corner. <laughs> you're rebuilding the White House in your dream. from King's Place in London. The Spotted Edge Shop presents The Guilty Feminist with Sophie Hagen and Deborah Francis-White and tonight's special guest, Holly Walsh, talking about self-deprecation. This is The Guilty Feminist, the podcast in which we explore our noble goals as 21st century feminists and the hypocrisies and insecurities which undermine them. I like that. I like that even in your dream you're kind of self-deprecating. Like even in your dream you have like Michelle going, listen... You're not special. You're not special. <laughs> she, she did say that to me, but I didn't take it personally because I felt like I was special. And <laughs> that, listen, Michelle, it's my dream. Yeah. <laughs> They're letting me philander around the White House. Of course, I'm fucking special. <laughs> it wasn't. It, it, it wasn't that lucid that I was able to tell her it was a dream. But I was ashamed when I bumped into her because I had been attracted to him. But I think she just knows, doesn't she, that every woman who talks to her husband. And probably every gay man fancies him. Well, I don't know if that's a generalisation you can make. I don't know. You're telling me you wouldn't do Obama? Oh, I've never said I wouldn't do Obama. Let's just get that on the record. I feel like some people are judging me. Well, Go, mm, if you're judging Deborah. Oh, just one. Oh. 
just got that. Oh, oh. Was, that, it, was it a man? It was a man. Bad call, sir. Bad call. Bad call. Over this side, they're really forming an army. They're sharpening, <laughs> sharpening shivs over here. Um, why are you judging, sir? Or are you just joking? I didn't mean to. <laughs> it's just like, I haven't spoken for ages. <laughs> Judging this? Yeah, yeah. I'm in. I'm in. I've spoken for what? In ten minutes, these people have been going on. Am I right, ladies? Am I right? Am I right? Am I right? What do you do for a living, sir? An illustrator. An illustrator. Oh, we like that. Um, But you said, what's your name? Ben. Ben, Ben the illustrator. You're regretting this now, aren't you? (laughs) Ben is regretting including himself. And there's something that's quite delightful about that in a way. Ben's gone. No. Um, so what was your challenge, Sophie? What was your challenge? <laughs> Self-deprecating. I mean, because I've been in therapy for a lot of years. <laughs> Who knew? And uh, so I kind of learned how to deal with that whole uh, thing. So I'm, I've kind of, when I need to talk about myself and my abilities or looks or whatever, I kind of differentiate between like reality and then my feelings. So if I, I could say I feel like my show is really bad. And to me, that means I do know it's just a feeling. But if I say the show is really bad, I mean that in reality it's really bad. And if I had a really good show, I will say that show is really good. Like, I'm, like realistically assess where I am. So I can say I feel ugly, but I would never say I am ugly because I know I'm not. That was the first thing I noticed about you because I interviewed the, how I met Sophie. So I oh, interviewed yeah. her for a book. And all the British comedians that I was interviewing were all going, oh, well, I mean, I'm probably, I'm a comedian. I'm, I'm amazed you're interviewing me for this book, really. I mean, I'm just a little comedian who nobody's heard of. And, I mean, OK, I've played the odd stadium, but who hasn't? Um, and Sophie was quite new then. It was a few years ago. Yeah. And she was just like, people are asking me why I'm not taking my a solo show to Edinburgh this year. And I said, it's because I'm not ready. And she said, a British comedian was like, no, you're ready. Of course you should. She said, no, I'm not ready. When I'm ready, I'll take a solo show to Edinburgh. And she said this other comedian said um well i'm taking a show to edinburgh so you can and she said and i looked at him and said well maybe you shouldn't be <laughs> she said i'm just being realistic neither of us should be taking shows to edinburgh yet now of course sophie went up the following year and won best newcomer so she knew what the fuck she was talking about where is he now um, i don't know who it was um, but then she told me about another thing. it was a rap battle between <laughs> Sophie and Jeff Leach, a comedian called Jeff Leach, who probably won't be a guest on The Guilty Feminist, it's no. fair to say. And uh, you can he... see the video on my uh, Facebook page, but don't mm-hmm. tell him because he wanted it gone. You really should see he it. He said it's it very damaged funny. Uh, his career. <laughs> it was really funny. And Sophie said that night I could have crowd surfed out of that room. And I think a British comedian would not say, well, I'm not ready to go to Edinburgh, but I could have crowd surfed out of that room. They would have said, oh, I had a lucky night. And then they'd say, oh, I'm not quite sure I'm... You know, it, it's all sort of much more woolly. And I thought that's what I found fascinating about you was that you it's just, just like went it's, it's realistic just, on the table. Yeah, it's just kind of trying to be objective about it and kind of being able to assess yourself. And I believe reality is that every single person in the world is beautiful, so I'm not ugly. You know, so I will say I feel ugly or I feel beautiful and that will just be my reality. Uh, so I didn't really have... But then I... So this happened last night. I was out... After a show, and which is like a bunch of people from the show, and there was, uh, there was one of my friends who's a fat activist, and she's so cool. She's one of the coolest people I know. Another friend of mine, uh, she's a female comic, and she's bloody amazing. She's one of the funniest women I know. Then there were two girls uh, who were in a band. Uh, like they were like a couple, and they were like one of like one of the best drummers in the UK, and the other one was a singer, and they were so cool. 
And then there was a man. <laughs> and that's the most interesting thing about him. Like, there's nothing, like, not, he had nothing. He spoke for an hour about nothing, just about himself. And we were all just, you know, and we were trying to speak or, like, join in. And, you know, the, the other women would come with little comments, like, funny, really, really funny comments. And he would just misunderstand the jokes and just kind of go, uh, no, and then just keep talking. And that happened the whole, and I was just like, this is, this is horrible. I'm with these interesting, amazing women, and then this prick is just taking 95% of the, t- and he didn't feel at all like that was weird. He just felt like, of course, I should be talking in this audience. So I thought, oh, this is really hard. Like, I'm a social angst person. I don't feel like I can go, hey, listen, I'm going to take over the conversation. So what I did instead was, every time one of the women said something, just like a tiny thing, trying to get into the conversation... I would look at them and keep eye contact and answer them, even though he'd already started to talk, trying to make it like a conversation between me and her. And then the rest of the women started doing the same thing. So he would, while he was still talking, we would be starting to have a conversation, and then the other one would join in. And eventually we kind of drowned him out. And at one point we looked up and he was just gone. Oh. And he just walked away like angry that he didn't get like 100% of the conversation. And I thought, maybe that's a thing you can do. Maybe that's a way of getting to say something when someone's taking over that much and feeling that entitled, looking around going, who's being spoken over now and is that fair? I think including others is absolutely the most exciting and powerful thing you can do. Mm. Um, to I've started playing this game, who's not being included around a table, and just to start to bring them out, just ask questions, throw them questions. You just have to sort of keep gently including. And it, people do come round. You can include anybody. I mean, you've got to look out for signals if they really don't want to be included. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for saying that. <laughs> I'd hate it. I mean, I quite like just sitting and just... Not. Uh, my psychologist said to me, if you feel invisible, it's directly dangerous to you. If you're ever in a situation where you feel invisible, get out. Because it goes all the way back to when you're a teeny tiny baby the second the baby starts crying, it's a bit scared that the mom won't come or the, or the dad won't come and take care of it because it knows it'll, it'll die if no one takes care of it. So if you see someone get spoken over in the social situation like I saw yesterday, we have to do something, especially if it's just some guy who was talking about trying to get on a reality show and then this woman he met wasn't his type because she had like a lot of makeup on and he liked indie girls. And uh, <laughs> you all dated this guy. <laughs> and that was an hour. Yeah. Anyways. So we need to include each other. I think that's the message. Yeah. Because sometimes we turn in on ourselves and we go, I feel nervous now. I can't speak. But it's so much easier to include someone else than it is to include yourself. To kind of go, oh, what were you saying? Sorry, Sandra. What were you saying? I didn't hear the end of that. Because Toby was talking over the top of it. You don't have to say that, but it's obvious. And just try and get them in, because then they'll start to include you. Mm. The fact you've included... It's, it's a great way to include yourself, is to include other people. Well, it's, and it makes yourself less self-conscious. We did a, an episode that, unfortunately, the, the sound had fucked up, so we man, we couldn't use it. But we had uh, Andrea Storgård-Brock, who's a Danish uh, woman who's incredible. And she talked about how women speak a lot quicker than men because we're so used to being cut off that when we do get a chance to talk, we just go, oh, God, i got to get all the facts in right now before he interrupts. Oh, he interrupted again. Oh, God. And that men, if they hear... No, not just men. If anyone hears a woman talk at the exact same pace as a man, they will think that she's speaking slower 
because we're used to us talking oh. so quickly and men to just kind of take their time. <laughs> I like indie girls. <laughs> She wore too much makeup. Just step, step, step. <laughs> Welcome to the stage, Deborah Francis White. Basically, self-deprecation is for you. It's for you. It's not for the other person. It's an expectation management system to say, hey, no need to tell me I'm crap, I already know. That's basically what it is. I think people are never more self-deprecating than when presenting. You know when people have to give like PowerPoint presentations? They come out and they go, oh. Hello, um, lot of you, so ho- ho- hope the PowerPoint holds up. Oh, bear with us. Before anything has gone wrong. And people always say to me, when I'm doing presentations, what should I do with my hands? Like, hands are new for the presentation. <laughs> like, I've been given this slide deck and now these. Well, I think you should ask what you would do without your hands at such short notice. <laughs> That, that would be a worse situation, if anything. I, I, and no one ever asks me that in the pub. No one ever says, well, I've got a drink in this one, but this one just hangs. What do I do with my hands? In the pub, you don't feel like prey. When you're giving a presentation, you feel like prey. That's, so that's why. That's why you feel very self-deprecating. It's because audiences look a lot like predators. You look a lot like lions right now. Audiences sit and stare. And it's actually the lionesses that hunt. The lionesses hunt, and the lioness will see the gazelle, and the gazelle will see the lion, and the gazelle will go... Like that small indecisive movements, and the lioness will get stiller. And the lionesses actually wait to see which is the twitchiest gazelle, because that's the easiest one to catch. God help Britain at the moment. And, um, <laughs> and when the lionesses move, they move with purpose. You don't see lionesses going, shall I get this one or shall you? Well, no, we'll go together, that'd be lovely. No, no, I've got the last one. No, it's yours, it's yours, it's yours, it's yours, it's yours, it's yours. And when they bring back the gazelle, you don't see the lionesses going... <laughs> sort of got a gazelle here. I mean, it was, it was probably quite old. I mean, it was probably going to die anyway. I mean, it was just sort of one of those ones that was just lucky, lucky. Team effort, probably. Team effort. This, this gazelle... Because if I'm talking to you, madam, in the front row, if I'm just talking to you, just you and me, as soon as I say that to you, you give me a nice little nod, right? You give me a little nod and you go, hey, I'm with you. But whose responsibility is it in this audience to give me a good time? Nobody. That responsibility is diluted. And in fact, it would be weird if just one of you were sitting there going, yeah, I think it's going okay. (laughs) So that, to me, is what the overuse of PowerPoint is about. To me, the overuse of PowerPoint is just the savannah equivalent of a gazelle going, look, a zebra. (laughs) Thank you very much. Uh, what was your challenge? Last night, I went to an open-air production of Henry V. It was amazing. You know, you're sitting outside and the sun's going down and it just felt really atmospheric. Do you guys know the play Henry V? A lot of you will know it. It's that famous speech, Once More Into the Breach. And I did tweet in the interval, this is terrific, but I'm a bit confused. When does he resign? Um, is it... I just, I just thought, presumably the second act, he says he wants his life back. And, uh, and just goes to Marbella. That's a pint. Invaded France, 
now. It's got awkward. Oh, it's messy. I don't know how to finish this. I'm off. Um, so uh, anyway, we watched this play and it was really atmospheric and amazing. And it was gender-blind casting. So Henry V was played by a woman. My friend Jessica Regan, who's an amazing actress, she was playing basically a French duke who comes from the French court and tells Henry V what's going on, says, come on, surrender, surrender, and Henry V says, not in your life, and so forth and so forth. And afterwards, we were sitting, having a drink with Jess, saying how great it was, and I said, Jess, you were just wonderful in this long coat, you're amazing. She said, yeah, it's the first high-status role I've ever played. And I said, oh, yeah, this is the first time you've had a man's role. And she went, oh, yeah, yeah, and she said, yeah, that's interesting, isn't it? And I really thought about that, and I thought, this is why gender-blind casting is really important, but also, what can we gain? Because I think I self-deprecate without realising it all the time. What can we gain from stepping into those shoes? So tonight, my challenge is to do a feminist version of Once More Into the Breach, which I'm now going to deliver. So this is, um... this is Once More Into the Breach for Feminism. Once more under the breach, dear friends, once more or close the wall up with our female dead. In peace, there's nothing so becomes a girl as modest stillness and humility. But when the blast of war blows in our ears, then imitate the action of the tiger. Stiffen the sinews, summon up the blood. Disguise fair nature with hard-favoured rage. Then lend the eye a terrible aspect. Let pry through the portage of the head like the brass cannon. Let the brow overwhelm it as fearfully as doth a galled rock. Oh, hang and jutty his confounded base. Swilled with the wild and wasteful ocean. Now set the teeth and stretch the nostril wide. Hold hard the breath and bend up every spirit to her full height. On, on, you noblest women, whose blood is fed from mothers of war-proof, mothers that, like so many suffragettes, have in these parts from morn till even fought and sheathed their swords for lack of argument. Dishonour not your parents. Now attest that those whom you called mothers did beget you. Be copy now to dames of grosser blood and teach them how to war. And you, good women whose limbs were made in feminism. Show us here the metal of your pasture. Let us swear that you are worth your breeding, which I doubt not. For there is none of you so mean and base that hath not noble luster in your eyes. I see you stand like greyhounds in the slips, straining upon the start. The game's afoot. Follow your spirit. And upon this charge, cry God for women, podcasts, and St. Pankhurst. I have, I have this, uh, this overwhelming feeling of not having done my homework. <laughs> Someone's reading Shakespeare. Well, I am actually going to ask you now to deconstruct that text. Uh, it feels really good. I think we should do more of it. I'm thinking we should do... I want to do a guilty feminist workshop where we all learn male speeches like that and we just sort of start doing the I have a dream speech and, you know, and just sort of learn to hold it because you can't go... 
Um, kind of got a dream. Um, don't know if it's worth mentioning. Um, uh, it's about, well, I, I have a dream that one day children will be judged by the content of their character, not the colour of their skin, but something like that. Um, it doesn't have to be exactly that. Probably, you know, you've probably got some ideas as well about what the dream could be. Can't, you couldn't do that. I think we should do, I think we should do like an afternoon workshop where we as Guilty Feminists get together and do big speeches. Yeah, I just, the problem is I, c- I can't that day. <laughs> you can lead a different group. Oh, yeah. A bake, bake, we're going to be baking? Yeah. <laughs> we can bake for me. me. <laughs> Yes, our brilliant guest is uh, Holly Walsh, who is an amazing comedian. So please welcome to the stage, Holly Walsh! Hi. Hi. Hey, how are you? I was so into your Obama sex dreams. Oh, right. God. <laughs> right? I was so into them, and I was disappointed in myself, because genuinely the only political sex dream I've ever had was with Michael Portillo. measure of self-deprecation that I had a sex dream about a homosexual retired Tory. MP Tory I would I'm so, so sad interesting that you thought homosexual I thought Tory right <laughs> I wouldn't I think the sort of gay part I could get around but actually I actually think that's the one but you couldn't get around but um, <laughs> done think, it before <laughs> I found out my my uh, my, that's how I do it that's how I do it they love it if you take your glasses on and off Ben are you hard <laughs> and we, we just learned there is such a thing as too much confidence. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, it's Henry V that's taken me over. I would never normally say that. I was so shocked after I said that. It's amazing. It keeps going. It's a Shakespeare spirit. <laughs> Seriously, I feel so good now. I feel like I could fucking take on the world having done that. Oh speech. my god, I went to watch Beyonce last weekend and I'm still on a high from it. Although today I did something that I was so disappointed in myself and I feel like I should be on a high off Beyonce and it was just so empowering and amazing but I did this thing today my train got rerouted and my baby had a meltdown and the reason why it had a meltdown was it was really hungry and I was like I, I need to feed my baby I need to like breastfeed my baby what I should have done is got all Beyonce about it and gone I'm really sorry well actually that's not Beyonce she would be like get up bitch really yeah um <laughs> should have said to the person I really need to breastfeed my child would you mind if I had your seat so I could breastfeed your chi- my child your child that's not right <laughs> a, a less popular question on the tube yeah. could I have your seat and breastfeed your child <laughs> imagine it was a man and they were like I don't have a child and I'd be like not yet but that's the plan not that you know of <laughs> and then I took my glasses off <laughs> I'm actually disappointed in your sex dream that you like. I used the phrase "oval office" as a euphemism for my vagina. So I uh, there are so many things you could have said rather than "what's your foreign policy." Yeah, I'm. I'm sorry. I'll rewrite it. Yeah, I think I really hope you have another sex dream and just say things like, "Yeah, but would you push the button?" Dream. That was I'm a feminist, but as a good feminist in my dream, I right. think I should have challenged him on his foreign policy. No, but I think you could do that just before he came, and that would be actually <laughs> a much better moment to get the truth. If that would change anything, we shouldn't be sleeping with Obama. We should go like 
Trump and Putin. <laughs> yeah. Oh, come on. So, that's more killing everyone's well, buzz. You wouldn't, just because they're not conventionally good-looking, you wouldn't change the world's <laughs> politics. No, Is that because they're abhorrent people. Do you know what? Uh, you're not conventionally good-looking. No, no, if you, by sleeping with Putin and Trump at the same time... Whoa. If you could, then change their views... Would you not? Oh, that's a great question. <laughs> it's a really okay, tough okay, subject. Okay. Yeah. Close your eyes. Close your eyes. Close your eyes. Close your eyes. Say, mmm, if you would have a threesome with Putin and Trump without the lights turned off. Oh. If that would change their politics. Say, what, mm, what, what, it'd have to be what, significant. No, all of them, they would now become like, oh, liberal, now, if they gave them liberal politics, okay. Socialist politics. Okay. Say, mm, if you would do that. Mm. Say, mm, if you wouldn't. Mm. Oh, you. <laughs> okay, just the men. Just the men. Okay, men. If you would have a threesome with Trump and Putin to change their politics and save the world, go, mm. mm. And if, you, if you wouldn't, go, mm. Is it 50-50? Are you kidding me? Oh, yeah. I, I think another, by the way, just for your sex dream, uh, just a tip. <laughs> Next time Barack Obama asks you, just say, I didn't know you were married. I mean, I'm not saying that's what you should do with all married men, but I just love the idea that there are certain people in the world who didn't know Barack Obama was married. You haven't Googled it. I feel I need to be more woke than that, though, for him to be turned on by me. I mean, I wasn't suggesting that you would be unconscious during this, if that's what you mean. No, no, I mean, like, that American woke. You know what Americans say? She's so woke. What does woke mean? It means sort of alive to issues. So right. if you're sort of alert on I feminism am, and... I am not woke. woke to woke. No, no, you're woke. You are woke, but you're not woke to woke. Yeah. Right, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, found, I found out that my local MP is uh, Chuka Umuna. Are you trying to start another sex dream going? <laughs> That's a sex daydream. Mm. He's so f- beautiful. You could write to him. He's a horrible no. person. Is oh. he? No, the... Oh, oh Is he? Sorry, oh, yeah. I mean, that ruined everything. <laughs> so, uh, what were you going to say? What happened with your prayer? Oh, right. So, no, no. What happened was, so I should have said to the person, would you mind getting up so I can breastfeed my baby? I know everybody in this carriage hates me because my baby is crying, but I really need to do it. But what I actually ended up doing was sitting down on the floor and breastfeeding my kids <gasps> rather than ask anyone to move. And I felt so cross with myself afterwards like on so many levels I felt cross with myself like that was absolutely a fair enough thing to ask someone for would have you'd thought but that's what I was doing I was preying on the British awkwardness that a woman gets her tits out and they'd think we need to do something about this <laughs> but I didn't I didn't do that and I just formed a ring around you with their backs exactly <laughs> and so let me see exactly yeah. I can't wow. believe they didn't get it I mean I'm more appalled by the people than by you but, right. but when you came in you said you'd lost half a pram oh and then I dropped my pram underneath the um, train but that's another story but the baby wasn't in it it's fine I, I would be heartless to turn up to a podcast tonight if that had happened if the baby had been in it we, would have, we wouldn't have had you no I'm a professional woman and I won't let my child get in the way of my job um, I'll tell you what though I've told you a negative story. The most wonderful thing did happen to me on a train. I was on the train and my baby was crying. Similar situation. Like, when he was really little, everyone looked so pissed off. And a really old man came up to me and I thought he was going to tell me off. And he said, I just want to say, you're doing so well. You're doing really well. It's difficult having a kid and you're doing amazingly. And then 
I burst into tears. So then <laughs> me and my kid were crying on the train. <laughs> and literally everyone was like, well, now you've doubled the problem, mate. <laughs> but people are amazing. Like, I've given a negative story, but they are amazing. But I just was crossing myself for not being assertive, for thinking, oh, everybody hates me. I shouldn't say anything. I'm only going to make matters worse. I'm only going to make that woman who's giving me dirty looks even more angry if I ask her to move. And I just thought, why didn't I do something? And then I'm coming to talk about self-deprecation tonight. And I just thought, well, it what is the my guilty problem? feminist. So you are allowed to be guilty when you arrive right. this is why it's not called the earnest feminist who always gets everything right because right. I just can't live with it I think so I think so yeah absolutely how do, how often do you feel that uh, in an environment that's very male dominated that it's easy for you to self-deprecate oh, where other guys are boasting about when you were talking earlier about the guy who was just talking for 45 minutes a gen- I, I mean I do love being on panel shows but when I very first started I think I was asked to be on a lot of panel shows early on because they were desperate to tick some boxes and I was not really ready for it which is mm. exactly what we're talking about Ed- with Edinburgh and I think for a good few years I sat on panel shows and this was my main contribution uh, that's that's like what I think that's like I've got to like that was if you just singled out my mic that was what I said for an entire half an hour that was it and it's so annoying because you just think if I could somehow carve myself a little bit of space like my jokes weren't that bad and I had something to say and I felt that Mm. um, and actually to be fair some panel show hosts are brilliant and they really like give you space I did um, QI recently and Sally Toxvic was on and I think she's just phenomenal but she really gave everyone male and female space to say what they needed to say Mm. and that's a, a sign of an amazing host and, and I think if the head of the Women's Equality Party can't give you space on a panel <laughs> show though then where are we? Uh, we literally have had to wait for the leader of the Women's Equality Party to be given a shot as hosting a panel show for that to happen I mean yeah. that is you know and I don't think it is necessarily that men know they're doing it if you've always been included it's hard for you to understand what it's like not to be included. It's a bit like we've all always had running water. We've all just, we just had it, so we feel entitled to it. So if you go home tonight and there's no running water, you ring the council and go, there's no water, and they say, we'll fix it in 24 hours. And if they don't, you then start to get worried, and two days later you start to get angry, and you're tweeting about it, you're telling people about it, and you don't stop until the water's put back on. At no point do you just go, oh, well, I guess I'm just going to have to find a local river and walk down with a jug on my head. <laughs> Never. And, and I notice that with guys, that they assume inclusion. They expect it, and if they don't get it, they get angry. I genuinely think there are a lot of amazing men on panel shows who are great and supportive, and if I was to make a joke, they would run with it, and I've got a lot of... I, I have to say, on the whole, I think comedy is a really supportive place for women, and I, I'm sort of lucky that other generations of women have gone before me who've had harder times and now I think we are like having an easier run and the generation after us will have an even easier run and that's a lovely thing but I think part of it is that when you've got a group of men together it's easy to sort of take the piss out of men so they can be like ah you baldy you look like a real you idiot right there but it's slightly more awkward for a man to do that to a woman they can't be like oh that's typical of you yeah you never know what you're doing you don't know anything you're like I think it's men feel slightly hesitant about taking the piss out of women. And I think the thing about all these shows is that 
when they work best, they're a bunch of people taking a piss out of each other, tobbing each other, making jokes, whatever. And I think sometimes with women, people are a bit like, I don't want to offend her. And men are like, I don't want to piss her do, off. Do you know, or, yeah, or I've, I've thought of a way to get over that, though, and that might be to have more women on the show. Women being funny together are different. It's a different but dynamic. There's but, also the thing, if I see a man on stage and he goes... Oh, I'm really bad with women. You know, people can laugh. If I go on stage and I say, oh, I'm really bad with men, they're like, oh. Yeah, I think, that, I, think there's a, I think there's a bit of that. I think if yeah. a man is self-deprecating, it's sort of charming. Yeah. And I think if a woman is self-deprecating, you're a bit like, oh, get over it, love. Come on. <laughs> and I think that's yeah. definitely an issue that we all have, is that when I hear... I, uh, okay, so I was talking to my friend about this a few days ago, and we were talking about Theresa May and her press conference that she did recently about running for Conservative leader, and my friend said, I felt awkward watching her, because she came out and she sort of... Um, they were, like, passing the microwave... Microwave? Microwave, microwave yeah. <laughs> she was doing it in a student dig, because it was weird, but... Uh, <laughs> passing the microphone, she was like, oh, sorry, thank you. You know, and then got on stage. She wasn't like, okay... I'm so happy to be running for this. The first thing she was was like, um, I just want to say a big uh, thank you to um, everyone for coming and to the man who introduced me. Thank you so much. So I just want to, everyone to like me and uh, I'm absolutely not an asshole. And um, let's just go with this. And I think it's a, quite a British thing as well as being a feminine thing. I think it's a very British thing. I think, I mean, do you, is it in Australia and Denmark, is it, are, 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 we, are women more self-deprecating? No, I, I think I can feel that it, it's definitely more a British thing. It's a bit less in Denmark. But then again, Denmark is also, in a lot of ways, very sexist. There's a lot of sexism still going on. And feminism is like a, a bad word. If you call someone a feminist, you're calling them a, like a bad word. Uh, so I don't know if that has anything to do with each other. But like the women in Danish movies and series are quite like tough. But I think it's funny the way we, we, we say... Because I've done run-throughs uh, for a panel show where I had to be really mean, because that was part of the, the concept. But in order for me to... I've learned, in order for me to be mean in like a jokey way, I have to be really soft and, and kind of like a little girly, kind of, because mm. otherwise people get a bit angry, because I seem very, very mean. <laughs> but So I was saying these jokes, which were like really tight, really good, really strong, but I had to deliver them in kind of this way, because... Then when I said it in this way, then the final punchline would kind of almost sound worse, but no one would get angry with me. Mm-hmm. But I found like the other comedians, the host of the show who was the comedian, and the producer cutting me off and like suggesting a punchline because they didn't think they thought it was nerves, and they're like, "Oh shit, she's being." weak and she's being self. I think it depends on your personality what the audience will take. But gender definitely plays a part. It's about what we see as strength and weakness. So instead of it being like the aggressive tough way is the cool assertive way maybe it's also about just shifting it and making the whole environment a bit open to different ways of asserting yeah, yeah. I agree with that. I think homogenised comedy where everyone's got to come out and go bang 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 I, bang. I have to say though to be, to be sort of um slightly devil's advocate about it but I love panel shows and I love doing them and I've found that the more I've done the more I've enjoyed them and so I'm not sure that the whole like they are intrinsically male is true I think that if you can find your own voice to do it just do that I think more and more people are accepting of that and I think we shouldn't as women look at panel shows and go oh but they are for loud men who are going to override everything I think we should be like 
well, I'll have a go. Really, do what I'm going to yeah. do. Yeah, just I think, think really do it. Shape, I think yeah. all these things that people tell you, like, this is a really male thing, just go like, I'm going to have a go at that and see if I can do it. I need to be honest, Holly, the, the reason I'm not doing panel shows is not because... <laughs> I don't want to have a go in case I get it wrong. It's because right. I'm not being asked. Right. Um, so Similar to you and um, Barack Obama. It's a lot like me and Obama. <laughs> it's so like me and Obama. Do we have any questions from the audience? There's one questions. there. Hi. Um, my question is that with women being self-deprecating, do you think part of it's because men feel threatened by a woman who's not self-deprecating? insofar as that an assertive woman comes across as being very harsh and unattractive. Oh, it's like that whole sort of a uh, woman is bossy and a man is... Mm. You know. Yeah, there's a massive double standard for it. Um, my answer to that is to keep your status high, but to raise the status of the people around you. Because there's a lot of role models in business and politics, which is my status is high and I'm going to lower yours and mow people down. And that's, yes, it's true. If a man does that, he's assertive. If a woman does that, she's aggressive. There's a horrible double standard. But the most powerful people who are above those role models, dare I say it, Obama, um, <laughs> and, you know... Bill Clinton, Oprah Winfrey, you know, what they are doing is saying, my status is high, my world's a wonderful place to be, you seem interesting, tell me more about you. And they raise status, and then you leap over that awful band of aggressive people mowing each other down into a much more powerful, charming spot. I also think to add to that, I listened to uh, this woman called Inga Beale, who is on Desert Island Discs, and she's the CEO of Lloyd's. And she said a really interesting thing. She said that... A guy was coming for a meeting with her and that he referred to the people who she'd hired and she'd only hired women because basically what she'd done is hired loads of people like herself and gone, wow, she needs a leg up. You know, that's a brilliant thing to do. I'll give her an opportunity. And I just think her point was don't just hire women because they're like you and you think they need an opportunity because that's exactly what the sort of old boys network is like. Hire anyone who you think is brilliant, you know, whether it be man or woman. I mean, I've done it. I, like, if there's been a guy, and I've been a bit drunk... <laughs> I mean, I've pouted. I'm so like, oh, how, oh, mm. Is that a self oh, Sorry, yeah. I dropped my handkerchief. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so helpless. Do you want to make out? You know. Do you only hit on Victorian men? <laughs> I just have a lot of handkerchiefs, and they keep falling out of my pocket. No, but, like, I think there are some men who don't like that. I have met my share of men who are like, I will save you, you poor little thing. And I've met loads of men the other way around who just really likes women who are powerful and assertive and strong and... I, they're better. <laughs> I, yeah, just, I, I mean, I do think you're right, though. I think I often get told we've got one person who you need to work with because she's just a bit too aggressive, and we've got a man we want you to work with because he's he's just not really assertive enough. And I go, well, you've got one assertive one and one unassertive one. What's the problem? And the, the problem is they don't conform to gender stereotypes. It's not what we're expecting. That is all that it is. So we need, as women, I think to start to include ourselves, to understand that inclusion is like running water. And we need to start to expect it, to turn up to the table like, yeah, I am going to be included. Include yourself and then include other women. Or anyone, anyone who's not getting their voice heard. Yes. How, can I, how can I include them? How can I give them the opportunity? Um, do we have time for another question? No, we don't. Yeah, do we, we do. Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> um, I just thought it was interesting that you were saying that you have to change the delivery of your jokes sometimes because you're a woman and it needs to land in a different way because you're a woman. And then what you were saying about Theresa May and the way she started her speech. And I wondered, 
as we all know, and I'm not a fan in case anyone's wondering, <laughs> but as we all know, she's, she is known as a very extremely assertive, um, powerful woman. Maybe she was adapting the way she opens her speech to become more acceptable as a female politician because the first thing you read mm. in the news is that she is cold-hearted, she's oh, nice yeah. queen, yeah. she's not friendly, which are all descriptions that you would never hear associated with a, a male yeah, yeah. So true. Was it before or after, can I ask, uh, that Ken Clark was caught on camera saying that she was a bloody <laughs> difficult woman? That's not the worst thing that he said about anyone. In fact, I think she came out the best out of the comments. Yeah, and did. like to be called a bloody difficult woman when you're a politician is actually quite a compliment, I think. It's just bloody difficult anything. She's politics and her whatever she stands for aside. I think that she, you know, I admire her for being a woman in politics who's able to get shit done. You know, that's an admirable thing in and of itself. And you maybe you could say that about Margaret Thatcher, but like this is politics aside, you know, she had, they both probably it's had issues. It's quite interesting to, 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 like, if that was a, if that's a way of doing it, when you see a woman make herself a bit smaller, that could actually just be really clever PR, which is kind of cool in some way. I don't no, think that's it's... Quite, if, you, if you know what, you, if you know exactly what you're doing... You think she was doing it, what was the question more? Is she doing it to she's doing doing it because because soften the edges or, or is she doing it? Maybe it's a suggestion of that, that, could, that could have been the thing. Because it, it, it could been, absolutely be media training where they've gone, you've got a bit of a reputation as a bloody difficult woman, you want everyone to like you, so go out and be a bit like this, and I just think it's the wrong advice. What story are we telling? But when your man uh, Gove comes out and goes, whatever charisma is, I don't have it. And you're like, <laughs> he is, you know, like the way he said it, like, I am not a confident man. Yeah. But that's the thing is what he said is basically what I took from that is charisma isn't worth having. Look, you know, the last guy was charismatic. Now we're in a mess. Fuck charisma. You want me. But you also have to, sometimes you have to do something to get to a position where you can be yourself. I would never, ever have been where I am in comedy if I hadn't started out doing like in Denmark doing horrifically sexist jokes being one of the guys because that was the only way they would give me spots and like help me to become like now where I've just kind of turned my back on them and gone (laughs) now I'm a feminist suck it Uh, so I think I mean that I mean, if she has to do that in order to be elected... And but it's then... just... I think the point is it's just, just annoying, annoying and sad. Elected. Yeah, it's annoying. It's, it's, it... I don't think that gets you elected. I, I, think... I really don't. And, and not that I want her elected, because I don't like her policies. Because I, I feel like now we're her campaign team. <laughs> going, she's just not going to get elected like this, guys. We've got to do something about Theresa May. But... I am so going to have a sex dream about Theresa May tonight. I run a club in South London called Happy Mondays on a oh surprisingly on a Monday night, and it is really fun. And please come to that if you are in or around New Cross. That would be awesome. Thank you. <laughs> Do you have anything to plug, Sophie Hagen? Uh, I have a new show called Shimmer Shatter. Uh, if you go to my website, sophiehagen.com, you can find info about that. It's about how I'm not that assertive. Uh, <laughs> no, it's it's. Uh, I, I'd love for you to see it. And uh, I also have a newsletter, sophiehagen.com forward slash newsletter, where I tell all the secrets that you don't want to hear. Because <laughs> it's too much information. Do you uh, do sex dreams? I will now. Yeah. <laughs> okay. What do you have to plug? Uh, I have to plug. 
Look, uh, my Radio 4 show, uh, Deborah Francis White Rolls the Dice, look out for that in September, October, and it's recording in August, and also my uh, other podcast, which is called Global Pillage. Uh, if you could listen to that, globalpillage.net, it just got on new and noteworthy today on iTunes, so if you could go and review it, that would be really nice. Um, and that will, you know, keep that particular space, which is very, very, very female-friendly and also inclusive uh, to other people that often aren't included. It would really help me out and help society out. But... <laughs> But before you do that, go to iTunes and review this podcast that you're listening to that I'm in. <laughs> Rate and subscribe and give it a five Are you flirting with a homosexual? Is that what that was? I'm not, but for the listeners at home, I did put my glasses on. So I was getting ready to say, or as many stars as you think it's worth. But I'm happy that you interrupted her there. Thank you, I'm Holly. Sorry. Give us five stars again. on iTunes. Also, can you five come stars. to our live shows again, please? Because you're a wonderful audience and we love you. You have been listening to The Guilty Feminist with Sophie Hagen, me, Deborah Francis-White, and our special guest, Holly Walsh. Music was by Mark Hodge. The producer was Tom Salinsky for the Spontaneity Shop. Thanks to Zoe Meta and everyone at Kingspace, as well as all of you, for listening. For more information about this and other episodes, visit guiltyfeminist.com. We needed you to do an illustration tonight of us in the interval. Would you be able to do that? Oh, we like you, Ben. <laughs> okay, so in the interval, Ben's going to do an illustration of us. <laughs> Let's back it up a bit. <laughs> do not <What's> draw me. <laughs> you, you can draw me. Yeah. Like one of <laughs> Have you seen Titanic? <laughs> and how many French girls do you have? <laughs> My first that ever was... famous challenge was to draw for, um, was to pose for a life drawing class naked. Um, I think you were there, Ben. No. <laughs> Sorry. What was your challenge, Deborah? Oh, okay. Well. So... <laughs>